As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the early 1960s, the U.S. Bureau of Land Reclamation built a 710-foot concrete dam on the Colorado River at the border of Utah and Arizona. This dam created a reservoir called Lake Powell, now a cherished recreational lake. But in creating Lake Powell, a 190-mile stretch of the Colorado River was submerged. Some have claimed that what was lost to view under the water, an area called Glen Canyon, was more spectacular than the Grand Canyon. Writer Elizabeth Colbert describes it as a fairy tale maze of side canyons and side canyons with their own side canyons, each one offering a different marvel. Edward Abbey, who floated through Glen Canyon shortly before it was submerged, said the closing of the dam was the equivalent of burying the Taj Mahal or Chartres Cathedral in mud until only the spires remained visible. But in the last 20 years, something both tragic and extraordinary has happened. A mega drought combined with rising temperatures and chronic overuse of the Colorado River has meant Lake Powell is drying up. Since 2000, the surface of the lake has dropped 140 feet, 50 feet in just the last year alone. Which means Glen Canyon is gradually emerging again, revealing its wonders to those who are paying attention. The word apocalypse comes from the Greek language. Its literal meaning is to reveal something, which is why it is often translated into English as revelation. 
During seminary, I had the privilege of taking a class on the Gospel of Mark with Brian Blunt, whom many of us know and love as the current president of Union Presbyterian Seminary here in Richmond. If we students learned one thing from Dr. Blunt about the Gospel of Mark after a semester's worth of lectures, it was this. For Mark, the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus is an apocalyptic event. And what that event reveals is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. That place and time when the universe and everyone in it exist as God intended. In the Gospel of Mark, again and again, Jesus reveals God's kingdom as it breaks into the present. The problem is, unlike Glen Canyon, which is being slowly but surely revealed as the waters of Lake Powell recede, The kingdom of God, according to Mark, is revealed in flashes, in the briefest of glimpses. It's like walking on a path through the woods at night during a storm, where the only illumination comes from split-second flashes of lightning, after which we must make our way forward on the memory of what we saw so briefly revealed. It makes for a challenging journey journey on this path, not only because what we see is revealed in flashes, but because when we do catch a glimpse of the path ahead, it's almost impossible for us to make sense of it because it is a place so different from our everyday world. One of the first times in Mark when the disciples catch one of these surprising and unexpected glimpses of the coming kingdom of God is in the story we just heard, when they find themselves caught in a sudden storm of surprising force while Jesus, the one who got them on this journey in the first place, sleeps through it. It feels almost a little too obvious to point out how easily we can relate. From a storm whose waters quite literally overran the boundaries of the church building a few weeks ago, to a tropical storm in Haiti and Hurricane Ida in the Gulf that's resulted in record-breaking rain across the Northeast, and those are just the literal storms, We've got no shortage of metaphorical storms either, from a war whose ending was chaotic and tragic, from laws that refuse to restrict gun rights, to those that deputize private citizens to police the decisions of their neighbors. Storms are raging everywhere. In today's story, Jesus and the disciples get into a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. The text tells us that Jesus got into the boat just as he was. And it seems that what Jesus was, was exhausted. And who could blame him? He'd been teaching to large crowds all day about the kingdom of God. In the evening, he tells the disciples to come with him in a boat across the sea to the other side, which means going from the land of the Jews, the the people the disciples knew, to the land of the Gentiles, the stranger. 
Now, more than one of Jesus' disciples was a fisherman by profession, and they would have had experience with this body of water, which was notorious for the sudden intense storms. But the disciples' reaction to this storm is terror and astonishment that Jesus would sleep through it rather than protect them from it. Clearly, the disciples already have some expectations of what it means to be on a journey with Jesus, and those expectations are not being met. A few weeks ago, I logged onto Zoom and joined there a young couple that's planning for their upcoming wedding and marriage We started our conversation with some small talk. It was the week of the storm that had flooded the church basement and sprung leaks in the roof, and I shared that we were dealing with some of the aftermath. The husband-to-be said to me, don't you have some kind of special pull with God to keep these things from happening? He was, of course, joking, but there was something about the look on his face or the tone of his voice when he said this that made me keep thinking about it afterwards, until it occurred to me what he was really saying, which I think was something like this. Please tell me you have some kind of control here, because everything right now is feeling really uncertain, and it kind of seems like God is asleep at the wheel. Now, if I had been quick enough in the moment to read the subtext beneath his sarcasm, I might have had the presence of mind to respond, right? The world does feel out of control and uncertain and overwhelming right now. And I am sorry to say that I neither have the solution to any of it nor a special direct line to God to change it. What I can do is promise to walk alongside the two of you as you prepare to make these extraordinary and absurd promises to stick with each other and love each other through whatever storms life sends your way. This is the work God calls us to now, to love the people in front of us, to help wherever and however we can to take care of ourselves and each other, and to remember that just because we can't see or understand how God is at work doesn't mean God isn't caring for us and engaging with God's world. Jesus and the disciples were headed to the other side in a boat, And the disciples seem to think that as long as Jesus is in the boat with them, the usual dangers of the Sea of Galilee won't affect them. But they quickly learn that's not how it works. Could it be that this storm upset the disciples so much, not because they thought they would perish in it, but because they thought having Jesus with them in the boat would keep them safe? When the storm arises, it's not that the disciples don't know what to do. It's that they thought having Jesus there would protect them from this kind of thing. The storm in this story is apocalyptic. It reveals something about 
who Jesus is and about how the kingdom of God works. Before the storm, the disciples seem to think that Jesus is a kind of shield from danger and discomfort. Instead, they learn he is a compass, pointing them to where they are called to go next and guiding them along the way. Most of us find ourselves thinking like the disciples from time to time. Somewhere along the way, most of us get the idea that our faith in God will make our lives better or easier, will keep us safe, protect us from pain. Then the storm hits, whatever that storm may be, and we discover that safety and security is not what God has promised us. Instead, God gives us minimum protection and maximum support. Two weeks from today, we'll hold our quarterly Discover First class when individuals and families who are considering becoming a part of our faith community will gather together to get to know one another and some of our church's leaders. It's a wonderful thing, but I'll be honest, whenever we hold Discover First, I struggle with what to tell newcomers about what it means to be a part of this church or any church for that matter, especially when the role of the church in our culture is so much different than it used to be, and when the future of the church is anything but clear. It would be nice, of course, if we could bring in new members the way we might take a friend with us on a pleasure cruise, saying, look, here's your cabin with a beautiful view, and here are all of your options for entertainment, and here are all of the dining rooms where you can go whenever you want and eat your fill. Instead, we are asking these new folks to join us in an uncertain endeavor, one that promises little, if any, creature comforts. If we are completely honest, we might say, yes, ours is a beautiful church, but it is less a cruise ship than a rickety wooden fishing boat that's likely to spring a few leaks from time to time. It is filled with people who are kind and loving, but who hold strong opinions and don't always agree. Oh, and we follow a savior who rarely does what we expect or would like him to do, and who is constantly pushing us beyond our comfort zones to reach out to the stranger, to love and serve the lost, and who sometimes falls asleep when we could use his help. I wonder if any of our Discover First participants would join if we presented our community like that. Would you? Today's story teaches us two things about Jesus that we have a tendency to forget, especially when we're in distress. The first is that Jesus was, in fact, fully human which meant he had the same needs we do, needs for nurture and nourishment, for meaningful work and relationships, and for rest. The second is that Jesus is fully divine, possessing the powers of the creator of the universe, power 
that can overcome any storm. Today's story also reveals something about the disciples and about us. We learn we are not just passengers on this journey, but that we will have to engage with Jesus. We will have to tell him what we need, ask for his help, take action. We may want a savior who reads our minds and know what we knows what we want and need for ourselves, our loved ones, our world without us having to ask. But what we have is a savior who invites us to journey with him to the other side, not as passive followers, but as active participants. Abraham Joshua Heschel was a brilliant Jewish scholar. He was also a passionate activist, working tirelessly during the civil rights movement to impact poverty, hunger, and racism. He joined Martin Luther King Jr. and others at the Civil Rights March in Selma, Alabama in 1965. And when he returned, he said, I felt my legs were praying. I felt something holy in that march. One of Heschel's most best-known and loved books is about the Sabbath, and in it he argues that the Sabbath doesn't come to us as a holy day. We make it holy by how we use that time that is a gift from God. We have a critical role to play in our faith journey, and it requires our attention and our action. The apocalypse of the storm in this story, when Jesus sleeps through it until the disciples wake him up, reveals a Savior who does not exist to make life easier by solving our problems or saving us from difficulty. This story reveals a God who invites us to engage our faith with our hands and our feet, to join with God in responding to the pain and suffering we see, and to trust that when we do that, we join God's, when we join God's holy work, we will catch a glimpse of the kingdom to come. Amen.